Good evening, and thank you for joining us tonight for part two of our Messy series. This is a four-week series that's going to examine the command to love your neighbor as yourself, and it's used throughout the Bible. The reality for most of us is loving others isn't easy. It requires selflessness and intentionality. We're going to start in the Old Testament and move through the Gospels and Paul's letters in this series and look at how God expects us to fulfill this command of loving our neighbor as ourself. And so if you will tonight, turn to the book of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and I'm going to be reading out of the voice translation. This is a story we all know well. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is what it says. Just then a scholar of the Hebrew scriptures tried to trap Jesus. The scholar said, Teacher, what must I do to experience the eternal life? And Jesus answered him with a question, saying, What is written in the Hebrew Scriptures? How do you interpret their answer to their question? The scholar replies, You shall love. Love the eternal one your God with everything you have, all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Before we go any further, um, I just want to say that the scholar responds with two different forms of Old Testament Scripture, the first being the Shema, out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he follows it up with the love your neighbor as yourself piece that is Leviticus 19, verses 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we see that the scholar replies right, and Jesus responds with that in verse 28. He says, perfect, your answer is correct. Follow these commands and you will live. The scholar then was frustrated by this response because he was hoping to make himself appear smarter than Jesus. The scholar said, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus responds with this story. A fellow was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho when some muggers robbed him. They took his clothes, they beat him to a pulp and left him naked and bleeding in, in critical condition. By chance, a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw the wounded man, he crossed over on the other side and passed by. Then a Levite, who was on his way to assist in the temple, also came and saw the victim lying there, and he too kept his distance. Then a despised Samaritan journeyed by. When he saw a fellow, he felt compassion for him, and the Samaritan went over to him, stopped the bleeding, applied some first aid, and put the poor fellow on his donkey. He brought the man to an inn and cared for him through the night. The same day, the Samaritan took out some money, about two days' wages to be exact, and paid the innkeeper, saying, Please take care of this fellow, and if this isn't enough, I'll repay you when I pass through. Which of these three proved himself a neighbor to the man who had been mugged by the robbers? asked Jesus. The scholar replies, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus says to him and says to us, well, then go and behave like the Samaritan. So really in this, this parable, we see two different things at work here. First, we see mercy is given. And second, in response to that mercy, action is taken. So the big idea must be that Jesus tells us this parable in response to a question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer is the same to all of us, that love is the person directly in front of you, and do whatever you can to help. Before we talk into some more points, 
Uh, let us really look through some milestones of the book of Luke as we kind of can set the stage for this story. But we see when the book of Luke starts off, Luke is really talking a lot about prophecy being fulfilled, that there's eyewitness accounts that prove Jesus fulfills the Old Testament between God and Israel, and he's creating a new Israel for all of mankind and humans to experience. Then later we see that Jesus' mission comes to pass, where he ministers to the poor and the outcast. It's important to note, too, that Luke really hits on this hugely in his book, that really he really elevates the stories of the poor and outcast almost above the others. And then everything kind of hinges in the middle of the book on the prodigal son, of that father standing on top of the hill waiting for that prodigal to come home. And then we see right after that a road to Emmaus story, and then really at the end of the book we are really uh, given... God's plan for mankind, that Jesus explains that his disciples are part of God's plan, but that we're also part of that plan too, as we know also Luke is the only, uh, really provides one of the only sequels to the gospel, that uh, Luke also wrote the book of Acts, but we don't get a sequel out of the other, so um, there's more to the story uh, in terms of what Luke sees. But let's set the stage from what was going on exactly as Jesus was telling this story. That in particular in this section of scripture, Jesus sets out with his disciples on a long road to Jerusalem where they're going to join thousands of Israelites to celebrate the ancient feast of Passover. Luke wants this road trip from the mountain to Jerusalem to remind you of Israel's long road trip. With Moses, they went from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. For Jesus and his disciples, it was a walk down memory lane. And then later, King David established Jerusalem as their capital. So here we see that Luke is portraying Jesus as something in particular to the Israelite people. He's portraying Jesus as this new Moses who is renewing Israel's covenant with God. And he's also the new David. So he's fulfilling the Old Testament. He's gathering people together to live under his new kingship and his new rule. As Jesus leaves, he sends out a wave of his followers ahead of him to prepare each new place for his visit. As Jesus would arrive announcing the good news of God's kingdom, he would call people to follow him and join him in this new thing that was happening. You see, most of the ones he interacted with were the poor and the outcast. And then he follows up his book to say that in these communities that they visit, that all outsiders are welcome. I mean, who would not want to be a part of that? We see this in this section that we see a bunch of marginalized people that are included in this story. We see people like sick people and shamed sex workers and tax collectors. Israel's religious leaders watch, though, and stand at a distance, and they start to criticize. They're asking themselves, if he really is God's prophet, why is he welcoming sinners and eating with them? And this really sets the stage for everything we're going to talk about before. It's interesting to note that Jesus was making a point that we can love God religiously, as the priest and the Levite do in the story. But often that love is meaningless unless it's accompanied by love expressed towards others, and often those that need it the most. It really can be summed up in John chapter 4, verses 19-20, through 20, that tells us that we love each other because God loved us first. And then usually we stop there in that scripture, but it says something a little more. It says, if someone says, I love God, but 
I hate my fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, how can we love God? So we can only wonder if the Levite or the priest were judging the man for his condition, maybe thinking that maybe he was drunk, or somehow he brought himself misfortune because of his own bad choices. We can be like these two anti-heroes of the parable, when we see people who look desperate or dirty or unkempt. The truth is that we see them all the time. We may falsely assume they got in their position by their own foolishness, or maybe they falsely accuse uh, them of getting what they deserve. But judging others for their brokenness distracts us from being able to love them and see the way that we can show them the love of Jesus. Like the law of the expert who asked Jesus the question in the passage, we may wonder who exactly God expects us to love. I mean, this is tough, right? It can be overwhelming to see so many problems in the world or so many people to help, and we could be tempted to believe I can't possibly make a difference, right? It's just too much going on. In his response, Jesus makes it clear that our neighbor is the one directly in front of us. So my question to you today is, who is in front of you that Jesus is calling you to assist this week? Maybe it's you buy them a meal or you give them an encouraging word. Andy Stanley gives us a little bit of wisdom uh, in this second week of messy, but he says this. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So as you go about your daily life, what are you thinking about? What are you paying attention to? Are you looking for people who might need a word of hope? Often we get distracted by the needs and the hearts of the people around us, uh, maybe even in our own stuff, but we often forget about people at the cash register or at the gas pump or the next table over uh, because usually we're dealing with our own stuff. But what happened if we actually helped those in front of us this next week? I want you to listen to this story about a modern retelling of the Good Testament, of uh, the Good Samaritan, sorry, um, about how she remembers total strangers helping her in one of the most difficult moments of her life. And just listen to this. Dear strangers, I remember you ten months ago when my cell phone rang with news of my father's suicide. You were walking into Whole Foods prepared to do your grocery shopping just as you had only done moments before. I had already abandoned my cart full of groceries and I stood in the entryway of the store. My brother was on the other end of the line. He was telling me my father was dead, that he had taken his own life early that morning, and through his own sobs, I remember my brother kept saying, I'm sorry, Deborah. I'm so, so sorry. I can't imagine how it must have felt for him to make that call. After I hung up, I started to cry and scream as my whole body trembled. Just then, this just couldn't be true. It couldn't be happening. Only moments before, I had been going about my errands in my normal Monday routine. Only moments before, my life felt totally intact. Overwhelmed by emotions, I fell to the floor, my knees buckling under the weight of what I had just learned. And you, kind strangers, you were there. You could have kept walking by, ignoring my cry, but you didn't. You could have simply stopped and stared at my primal display of pain, but you didn't stop. No, instead you surrounded me as I yelled through my sobs. My father killed himself. I can't believe it. He's dead. And the question that has plagued me since that moment is why? 
I must have asked it over and over and over again. I remember in that haze of emotions, one of you asked for my phone and who you should call. What was my password? You needed my husband's name as you searched through my contacts. I remember that I could hear your words as I tried to reach my husband, my husband's number, leaving an urgent message for him to call me. I recall hearing you discuss among yourselves what would drive me home in my car and who would follow that person and bring them back to the store. You didn't even know one another, and it really didn't seem to matter. You encountered me, a stranger, in the worst moment of my life, as you surrounded me with a common purpose, and that purpose was to help. I remember one of you asking if you could pray with me and my father. I must have said yes, and I recall now that Christian prayer being offered up to Jesus for my Jewish father and me, and it still both brings tears to our eyes and makes me smile. In my fog, I told you that I had a friend, Pam, who also worked at Whole Foods, and one of you went in search of her, and thankfully she was there that morning and you brought her to me. I remember the relief I felt in seeing her face and something that was familiar and warm. She took me to the back, comforting and caring for me so lovingly until my husband could get to me. And I even recall as I sat with her, one of you sent back a gift card to Whole Foods. Though you didn't know me, you wanted to offer a little something to let me know that you'd be thinking of me and holding me and my family in your thoughts and prayers. That gift card really did help feed my family when the idea of cooking was so far beyond my emotional reach. I never saw you after that, but I know this to be true, if it were not true for you all, that I might have simply gotten in the car and tried to drive myself home. But the truth is I wasn't thinking straight, if I was thinking at all. And if it weren't for you, I don't know what I would have done in those first raw moments of overwhelming shock, anguish, and grief. But I thank God every day that I didn't have to find out. Your kindness, your compassion, your willingness to help a stranger in need have stayed with me until this day. And no matter how many times my mind makes me think back to that horrible life-altering moment, it isn't all darkness. Because you reached out to help me, you offered a ray of light in my bleakest moment that I've ever endured. You may not remember it. You may not remember me. But I will never, ever forget you. And though you may never know it, I give thanks for your presence and your humanity each and every day. And I know that as you heard that, it really brings to mind how important it is really to reach out to those in front of us. Uh, This was actually posted anonymously in a newspaper um, just because the lady had honestly no idea who had assisted her and she just wanted to put in a thankful word uh, for the people that surrounded her and that really grief-stricken time in Whole Foods. And so I hope that this week, uh, maybe through something that you've heard, or um, this story that you've heard, um, that you would actually do one kind thing to, for somebody that's in your sphere of influence, or maybe somebody that you run into, um, so that we can show them the light of God. Because the reality is that I bear the image of God, and you bear the image of God, And others bear the image of God because we're all made in his likeness. So whenever we love one another, we in turn love God. And so may you this week help the hurting, the outcast, the homeless, the stranger, the friendless, the struggling, so that you in turn can be the good Samaritan and make somebody else's life a little bit better. 
Hope you've enjoyed this week, uh, this week's podcast of part two, and join us next week for part three, as we're going to also be hopping in another New Testament book, uh, talking about um, how difficult it is to love others, but how we can do it in God's presence and His Spirit. May God bless you this evening. Take care.